The Chet Kavik Podcast Network. Welcome to Sports Cars, a podcast where a Chicago sports broadcasting pioneer and a national legal expert get into the legal goings of sports. And now your hosts, Chet Kavik and Lester Munson. He is America's premier sports legal expert. How you doing, everybody? His name is Lester Munson, ESPN. I'm Chet Kopic, generally regarded as the godfather of uh, Chicago Sports Talk Radio. Welcome to Sports Court. A lot on the menu today. Gilbert Arenas, Tony La Russa, National Football League, the Supreme Court. First of all, Lester, uh, the, uh, the gun-toting uh, Washington Wizard, currently under suspension, Gilbert Arenas. How shocked, how taken aback was the Arenas defense team? How taken aback was the prosecution in the case of Gilbert Arenas, that this guy pled guilty almost 10 seconds after he was booked, and yet the judge put off sentencing in his case. The uh, the judge, that they every both sides expected this judge to take care of that case and finish it off in a single day. Prosecution had suggested to Arenas, we will agree to that. Arenas wanted to bring this to an end before it got worse. The judge, a very good judge named Robert Morin, he said, wait a minute, I want to find out about this guy. I want the usual pre-sentence investigation that we would do for anybody. I need two months to do it. And so Arenas is going to cool his heels under an indefinite suspension from the NBA until March 26th. So it was a setback for Arenas, and it was a surprise to the prosecutor. All right, uh, let me give you a big hypothetical that will show you why uh, uh, any dreams I had in my youth of being a lawyer were uh, very, very uh, inappropriate. <laughs> If I'm the Washington Wizards, based on the collective bargaining agreement with the players, I am on the hook for the salary of Gilbert Arenas. I believe he has about $85, $86 million left on his uh, package with uh, the Poland family. What would prohibit from the, the Wizards from declaring the contract null and void, allowing Arenas to file suit, which obviously he would do, and the Wizards going to court with a legal approach that Arenas' conduct uh, was so far outside the boundaries of the collective bargaining agreement that the Wizards and the NBA should have the right to void his deal. I can easily see why the Poland family would want to do that. They want to get rid of Arenas. They want to get rid of the contract. Uh, obviously, he's never going to come back and play for the Wizards. But unfortunately for them, in the collective bargaining agreement, there's a specific express paragraph about guns in the locker room. For some reason, the NBA bargained for this five years ago. It's in the agreement, and under the collective bargaining agreement, which is binding on the union and the players on the one hand and on the the NBA and the owners on the other hand, under that provision, Stern can punish him only with a suspension and a fine of up to $50,000. If he had shot the gun and injured somebody then it might be beyond. But possession of a gun in the locker room is covered in the agreement. Good morning. What kind of a world do we live in when you have a collective bargaining agreement between a sports league and its players association that involves guns in a locker room? Who in the world at the NBA decided to do this? Uh, I don't know. They're apparently, I, I tried to check in on about this in the last couple of days. Something happened involving a player several years ago with a gun. The NBA decided 
we know how to deal with this. We'll put it in the collective bargaining agreements so that then the commissioner can punish these guys with long suspensions. I don't think this incident was reported at the time by any of us. It's one of those things that has happened, and now I am sure the Wizards and the commissioner wish that was not in there so they could void this contract. If I told you that uh, over the years when uh, people have asked me about athletes carrying guns, I've inevitably wound up talking about the National Football League and offered this thought. My, my gut tells me, and I have no research upon which to base this, but my gut tells me about 50 to 60% of the players in the NFL carry a piece just for so-called showcase reasons. I know that that's true, and uh, I've heard you say that. I've heard other people say that. It amazes me. If you look at the pictures of the guns that Arenas had, the four of them, they are all for showcase reasons. These are not guns that you go and you do target shooting with or you do competition with. These are guns to show off what a macho character you are. One of them is gold-plated. It's about (laughs) 10 inches long. And... I, there's only is one that the uh, is that the Dick Cheney autograph model? <laughs> <laughs> they are unbelievable, and you're right. There, these are just there to show off. Look at me. Look what I'm able to do. I, I, I okay. Yeah, you you can buy the 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 lower income. You you can buy the urban effect on the National Basketball Association, i.e., the ghetto effect. But you're Gilbert Arenas. You're making 111 million bucks. You're in the NBA. Even if you're the twelfth man, for heaven's sakes, you're making you're making live money. I I, I don't get it. it. It is crazy. And I I would dare say that next next time the NBA negotiates a CBA with the players, there there will be rules involving guns that will make it almost uh, a capital crime for a player to be carrying a piece. I, I am sure you're right that the NBA. Uh, next time bargaining comes up, which is in about a year and a half, they're going to say we need some kind of absolute penalty on guns. Uh, we can't put up with what we have. But why these guys do this, Chet, I, I wish I knew. It makes no sense. The only person that's going to get hurt with one of these guns is somebody in their own family, probably. There's going to be an accident. Something's going to go wrong. And then Arenas ends up in this situation. He's got the guns. He gets this bright idea to make what he thought was a joke about him. And now here he is. He's sitting at home, and he'll be sitting at home for the rest of the season. You and I have uh, known and followed, covered Tony La Russa for a number of years. I go back to uh, 1980 with Tony. The young Tony La Russa managing the Chicago White Sox was a delight. Today, quite frankly, I don't even like being in the same room or the same building with Tony La Russa. I'd like to bring this and just kind of get your thoughts because you know how baseball's Veterans Committee operates. It's, it's very deified. It's very, uh, it's very much an August body uh, that uh, wants the best interests of Major League Baseball to be bound and protected. Why do I have this feeling that La Russa hopping on the bandwagon like nobody's business. I mean, running a PR campaign for Mark McGuire that the Veterans Committee may well say, we do not under any circumstances want Tony La Russa in the Hall of Fame. I, I think that La Russa bringing McGuire back into baseball is going to hurt La Russa in a major way when it's time for his election to the Hall of Fame. Obviously, as a manager, he belongs in the Hall of Fame. What he's doing with McGuire, to me, is incomprehensibly, breathtakingly dumb. I have no idea what he's trying to prove there. He seems to be lately 
irascible, temperamental, mm-hmm. a little cranky, a little grumpy, and he also seems to enjoy just irritating most of the population. So he, he's a very contrary guy now, not the way he was when he was younger. Something is funny going on here, and this is going to hurt Larusa and his legacy. You know, Lester, uh, the fact of the matter is, Larusa, in my opinion, has not been the same guy since he got busted in Jupiter, Florida, on the DUI. Yeah, it makes you wonder uh, why he is like he is. Uh, is there something going on here that we don't know about? Has he got a problem that he should get under control? I don't know, but certainly he is doing some very strange things. He's a great manager. He comes up with these interesting ideas, batting the pitcher number eight, all this stuff. He he knows exactly what he's doing, but he's very difficult to get along with. He is also the godfather of the three-hour and 15-minute ball game. He is. That, that is really Tony's true legacy. Right. Tony figures if a game goes two hours and 25 minutes, everybody's been cheated, including himself. Right. He wants everybody to get their three hours worth. That's right. He'll you know, do whatever it takes. Uh, kind of interesting. Here in Chicago, uh, Carlton Fisk, former Boston Red Sox, uh, legendary Chicago White Sox, card-carrying member of the uh, uh, Baseball Hall of Fame. White Sox have their annual, annual uh, midwinter uh, Sox Fest as we, uh, as we speak. He's asked about Mark McGuire. Uh, let me read directly from the Chicago Sun Tribune, the piece authored by uh, Fred Mitchell. Um, some of these numbers that are up are really warped. Should they be considered? You saw how McGuire was viewed in the Hall of Fame voting. If you take the length of time that steroid abusers use that stuff and subtract 15 or 20 home runs a year for them, from those guys, where are their numbers now? McGuire, the new Cardinals hitting coach, apologized last week for his steroid use as a player but claimed steroids had nothing to do, that's right, nothing to do with his 70 home runs in 1998. Quote, that's a crock. Fisk said, there's a reason why they call it performance-enhancing drugs. That's what it does, performance enhancement. (laughs) (laughs) Good for Fisk. It it is very, uh, it's wonderful to hear a ball player of his stature, uh, someone you must listen to, come out and say this. There are so many of these guys who will not discuss this. They don't want to criticize a fellow ball player, but here Pudge Fisk, no surprise to those of us who have seen him in action. He jumps right in on this, and he is taking a very strong stand. Good for him. You know, uh, Lester, one of the reasons why uh, a guy like Fisk has every right to uh, uh, chew uh, McGuire's uh, earlobe, if he wants to, in my opinion, is this. Going back to the early 80s with the White Sox, uh, I did their pre and post in 1984, Carlton Fisk, as you know, was a workout fanatic. Get to the ballpark at 2.30, 3 o'clock, run the bases like crazy, catch nine innings in 90-degree heat after the ball game, shower, take off his uniform, get in sweats, and then go weightlift for an hour. And then then drive home with a six-pack of beer. (laughs) (laughs) Unbelievable guy, Fisk. There's no question about it. One of the most disciplined, focused players took incredibly good care of himself. That's why he lasted as long as he did. Uh, he always looked terrific out there. He could play. And he wasn't just going to let his talent be enough. He he nurtured it and developed it and, and played longer than most people should have. You have a knack for looking into the crystal ball. My own feeling is that if McGuire and LaRusa think the story is dead, they're nuts. Would you be surprised if sometime during spring training, early April, maybe into May, after McGuire has been vilified in every city he goes to, after he's had to face the press in every city he goes to, and you know guys are just waiting for an opportunity to uh, to cut him off at the knees, that um, 
for health reasons, personal reasons, whatever, McGuire very quietly departs the Cardinals as a batting coach. I, I actually, right now, Lester, I make it even money. I, this will happen. I don't think he's going to make it through the season. Will he make it through spring training? I'm not sure about that. Already, even as he's apologizing and trying to do what appears to be the right thing, even now he walks out of conferences and, and spends less time there than he should. Instead of staying and a- a- answering all the questions, he'll jump up and walk out. He'll end up probably in the same kind of plight as Roger Clemens. He's unable to talk about it without getting angry, without getting defiant, and he's just going to make things worse for himself with this attempt to come back into baseball. You know, uh, La Russa and McGuire had to make a move because, as you know, the Cardinals had their fan convention coming up. They had to somehow clear the air. So McGuire has the orchestrated confession. He goes down to the fan convention. He gets a standing ovation from the Redbird faithful, which doesn't, you know, surprise me at all. Mark McGuire could have, you know, could have shot Abraham Lincoln for heaven's sakes, and he'd still be a <laughs> he'd still be a folk hero in in St. Louis. He spends a grand total of six minutes. He was hired as batting coach in October. First time he meets with the St. Louis Press, he gives them a grand total of six minutes, in which, as you know, through six minutes, he basically said no comment. And and imagine doing that every day in spring training. How long can he put up with it? You really wonder what is going on here. Did, did McGuire prevail upon La Russa to do this? Was La Russa unable to say no to a guy like Mark McGuire? I don't get it. There's something terribly wrong here. I don't think it's going to work. I, I think your idea of even money... Uh, getting through spring training, I, I would take some of that. He, he's not going to make it. You know, Lester, here's something I haven't heard anybody talk about. In spring training, McGuire will probably have the... Uh, I'm sure this has been taken care of already. I'm sure the uh, the Cardinals public relations staff, along with La Russa, McGuire's people, have already met and determined that during spring training they will issue a statement on day one that Mark McGuire will only discuss current baseball issues as regards the St. Louis Cardinals in his role as batting coach. They, they, they will try to negate the issue of steroids. All that's going to do is create an environment in which the press is going to go to St. Louis Cardinal ballplayers, coaches, broadcasters, and make their lives absolute hell. There's no question about it. The moment somebody tells you as a journalist, we're only talking about A, I as a journalist want to talk about B. I don't even care what B is. <laughs> I just react in that way. They're not going to tell me what questions I'm going to ask. And we don't need Bill Gleason back. We don't, all of us are going to react the same way. We are going to be asking him those questions every time we get a chance, and then we'll make up times. We'll, we'll find him walking around someplace and do it to him again. So he's, he, it's not going to go the way he expects it or wants it to go. Lester, when he's in Chicago, I swear, he'll have to have room service. He will not be able yeah. to walk into a restaurant without creating havoc. Yeah, no, I think that's right. Chicago in particular, uh, uh, with the Cardinals here, I, I don't, what, what is going on here? He's not even going to be that great a hitting coach. Anybody who thinks that was a classic baseball swing, even I know that is not true, and I'm not exactly Mr. Expert on this. There, there's, <laughs> why is he there? I, I don't get it. I, ju- I just, we're, we're missing something in this story. There's something that McGuire, and Larusa have going on that we don't yet know about, and it doesn't sound good to me. National Football League in front of the uh, Supreme Court. National Football League seeking to increase its uh, empirical powers to the point that, uh, my gosh, it'd be above and beyond Napoleonic. 
Give us the rundown. Where is this going? Is the NFL going to achieve what it wants? The NFL wants total immunity from antitrust laws. It would make them supremely powerful. Players, coaches, fans, all of us would suffer if the Supreme Court gives the NFL what it wants. It looks to me, based on the arguments last week in the U.S. Supreme, that those nine judges, or at least a majority of them, are not interested in giving the National Football League what it wants. We don't know for sure because we didn't hear a word from Clarence Thomas. We only heard some kind of funny-sounding questions from Kennedy and from Alito and from Ginsburg, but it looks like Sotomayor, the rookie judge, and Scalia, the leader of the conservative bloc, are both of the opinion that the National Football League should not have handed to it on a platter the immunity that it wants. So it looks uh, to Lester, me like we're going to be uh, safe. By the way, how, how would you define the legacy of Clarence Thomas on the Supreme Court? <laughs> n- n- not exactly Babe Ruth, huh? <laughs> not exactly. You know, he's never asked a question of a lawyer standing in front of him. He's been on there, whatever it is, 14 years, and he has never asked a question. <laughs> and in this case, an opinion that he wrote is right at the center of the whole thing. The lawyers were hoping he would, but they, he just glares at everybody. <laughs> It's unbelievable. You you can't uh, you, you watch it happening and you can't believe it. Once again, the man is like nobody else. Legal expert, ESPN, Lester Munson. I'm Chet Kopic. This has been Sports Court. We'll catch up with you in seven days. So long, everybody.